listeners, welcome back to Impacting the Classroom, the podcast that talks about big topics that have an even bigger impact in early education. I'm your host, Marnetta Larimer. If you've been active on social media over the past few years, you may have come across teacher influencers, first on Instagram and now on TikTok. Today, we will be talking about the rise of the influencer in early childhood education and what their role should be in the conversations we're having about education. So what's impacting the classroom? With me today are Arielle, who you may know as Miss Frazzle. I'm sorry, Mrs. Frazzle, because she got married. (laughs) And Miss Redacted. Welcome, ladies. Thank you. (laughs) You want to tell us a little bit about yourselves before we get started? Sure, I can start. Um, I'm misredacted. I'm no longer in the classroom. Um, I taught early Head Start, which is really, really little kids aged like six weeks to three years for a year. And then I taught high school 11th grade US history for two years. And Miss Fraz and I have a podcast together. I also now teach history classes on Twitch. So even though I'm no longer in the classroom, I still feel deeply connected to education. <laughs> Thank you. I'm Arielle, Mrs. Frazzled. A lot of you probably have seen me because I make videos on TikTok. I also talk about fun words that kindergarten students in my classroom make up. And I talk a lot about sort of the issues in education, giving a raw, real, and hopefully sometimes comedic look at the lives of teachers in and out of the classroom. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just tickled. <laughs> um, because I, I saw some of your episodes and very entertaining. I like I can't wait for this conversation. Thank you. <laughs> so let's start it off with an easy question, right? So we have seen a rise in educator influencers. What responsibility do they have to their audience, especially given the current climate of teaching? I think that's something that is on both redacted in my mind a lot because it really varies on who you ask, obviously. But my personal view is that as teacher educators and influencers in the space, we have a responsibility to be honest, if nothing else, and also bring awareness to the issues in education, especially when you have a large platform. I don't think it does anyone any good to kind of just sugarcoat everything and make it all look sunshine and rainbows because although that is a part of teaching and it's amazing it's not the whole picture and I think that social media in general does a really good job of showing the highlight reel but for me I feel that I personally have a responsibility to also show that there are challenges and that's very normal and that's okay so for me that's kind of what I think. Yeah, I really want to echo what Fraz said. And to me, it's all about being genuine because when we talk about like the conditions of teaching and the things that are going on, that looks different for every teacher, for every grade level, for every subject, for all of that. So I think bringing as a teacher influencer, your genuine perspective about what you're experiencing, what your students are experiencing. And the other like flip side of that is on how to solve some of these issues is that I never think it's productive for a teacher influencer to be talking about something just because they feel like they need to say something about it or just because they feel like it's a statement they should talk about if they don't actually care about it. So I think for people to really find the things that are important to them, like I taught history and like history education and civics education is something that's extremely important to me that I speak on a lot. It wouldn't be super impactful for me to be talking a ton about fifth grade literacy because that's not 
something I'm particularly connected to. So I think teacher influencers finding what's genuine to them that they can make the biggest impact in is their responsibility and making sure just like the basic of that your language, the phrases you choose, the people you interact with are not bringing harm to anyone. What has been the most, you know, you were talking about like the high rail, right? The hot topics is like what I might call it. So what has been the most challenging or controversial TikTok you've had based on the current climate, right? Like what's going on in the education field? So it's kind of ironic that you say this. I know it's a serious question, but I actually just had to delete a video because it was getting a little too like intense in the comments section, but it was over AirPods in the classroom. So like whether or not, like just my rules around kids wearing AirPods and people were just getting extremely, extremely upset about it, which is interesting because I've noticed when I've made TikToks about things that you would think are more controversial, sometimes like it's less, but then the most random thing will get people so fired up that you're like, I was talking about laws and inequities and these things that have real disagreements and you all are at each other's throats over AirPods. You think that that's more because it's comfortable, right? It's, it's exactly. something, right? Talking about inequity, it, right? You call yourself out based on your response, right? Or maybe you don't know how to respond. <laughs> so mm -hmm. perhaps and it's I just. I think it's also the other creators and commenters feeling the freedom to say something about that. Because if you make a video about genuine inequity for someone to disagree with you, they're going to need a pretty well-formed opinion or argument to have a productive conversation with you as yep. opposed to AirPods where they can just be like, you're actually ruining every child's life. Yeah. Yeah. There's no depth. There's no depth to that. Right. Exactly. Right. No, no layers to that. <laughs> a lot of times the layered post, they get a scroll. <laughs> yeah. It may be a like, right? <laughs> Ariel? That is such a good point. Just that that is the AirPods are something easy to engage with because when you brought that up redacted, it reminded me of my water bottle video that got like 13 million views or something because I bought, so when during COVID, the water fountains were closed at my school and my students couldn't go to the water fountain, but they would often forget their water bottles. And I didn't want to go downstairs and get them like a disposable one. So I just bought reusable ones from the dollar store and people had the most to say about it. Like, why aren't you labeling it special? Like, why aren't you decorating it? Like, why aren't you building something in your classroom for it? All of that. And it's just, it was really interesting because again, like I definitely have hit on way harder topics. Like I mentioned earlier in our discussion that I got myself doxxed during election season for mentioning to, in Mina Harris's comment section, I said, my students just love your aunt. Like they were so excited to see her on the TV being elected vice president. Like it was huge for them. And people got so irritated. They were like, you're indoctrinating children. And I was like, I showed them the, like who won the election. Like, what are you talking about? And that was very controversial for them, but yeah, it's, it's interesting how it's much more comfortable to engage with those easy, low hanging topics. Yeah, most definitely. Water bottle um, hate. I forgot right? about that. That was, <laughs> people were getting 
wild. People are like, the BPA is going to kill the children. You never cared. And the bottle literally said BPA free in the video. Big I was like, are you okay? Are you okay? <laughs> wow. Yeah. So that brings me to my next question, right? So you have this, this platform, right? These, this huge following, a lot to say. So as two white women, right? And for those who are listening, right? As two white women in the spotlight, how do you see the role of social media influencers in improving equity within the education system? Um, Redacted, you already leaned, talked a little bit about like civic education and things like that. Like, let's expand on that. Yeah. So I think it's definitely something that you need to be hyper conscious of, especially in the education world, especially when you're working in a community where it's not predominantly white or even any community, it's something you need to be conscious of. And just what you were saying about like the passions around civic education and the things that I like, it's no secret that like the algorithm prefers certain people that look a certain way. When I look at my stats, if I have my hair down, if I have fake eyelashes on, if I have certain things on, my numbers do way better. So to me, like I love using my platform to talk about things like history education and how I work in Florida. So, so much of the curriculum is so biased and so much about the experiences of people of color in the United States has been completely left out. So I've loved being able to do my history streams and talk for like two and a half hours, very in depth about those topics. Cause I know this magic capitalistic numbers game algorithm thing is feeding people here. And it's my responsibility to do something productive with their time. That's going to make the place or make the world a better place for everyone in it as like corny as that sounds. (laughs) (laughs) I think that there, we have a unique opportunity because not only are we educators in the space, we're also influencers To echo what Redacted said, we know that the algorithms suppress people of color. We've seen it time and time again. We've seen the evidence for it. I think that we're seeing that mirrored in our schools. We know that the issues and the inequities are everywhere. And never has that been more clear than after COVID came and sent us all home, out of the classroom and into our homes being very intentional about which creators you interact with, because some creators might look so wholesome and great, but they have skeletons in their closet that are not hard to find. So being intentional about interacting and partnering with people that are creating an equitable and inclusive space, and then listening to creators of color and being intentional about including them in community, in conversation, in all of these things, because putting yourself in an echo chamber is not going to be helpful to anyone. And I think that is incredibly easy to do when you're on the internet to put yourself in an echo chamber so be willing to follow people that kind of make you be like oh should I have not said that at that point in time or should I have not done that and be willing to learn from that reality as opposed to just surrounding yourself with people that make you feel like everything you're doing is perfect and great and you're never harming anyone ever Right. Because I mean, if you're doing all this equity work and it's a real passion of yours, right, you're holding yourself accountable to vetting the people that you're connecting to because otherwise you're just really talking. It's just lip service, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I really feel strongly about this, but I'm going to partner myself with someone who is the opposite, has the opposite belief system, right? Or moral yes. compass that you are um, leaning into. Yes. And I, I think that Social media is meant to be a community. And one thing, being intentional with your community involves not 
girl bossing and gatekeeping in the sense that like I'm in group chats with people and we're very transparent about our pay, what we're paid. And we don't want anyone to get shortchanged because we've also seen that BIPOC individuals are often shorted for the same exact deliverables as white cisgender thin individuals that are getting these brand deals. It's really important to me to surround myself with people that we can talk about things. I mean, if a brand is a little shady, we call out the brand and we let everyone know, hey, this happened. This was not cool. Just be aware of that. And I feel that that responsibility falls on us as individual influencers because you're not going to see brands holding themselves accountable. The algorithm is not going to change. It's going to have to come from us as sad as that is, but that's how we make changes like together. And again, not falling into the echo chamber, which TikTok just makes it so easy to do. Yeah. Well, I think a good example of that is Addison Ray, right? Who is a Louisiana person, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, taking the dances, right? The creations of people of color and using that to elevate her status, right? And it took her to these wonderful extremes, right? And not really giving them the credit, right? Or the recognition or the acknowledgement of those dances. So that was a great example because like then she showed up on TV and people were like, whoa, whoa, hold on. Right? Those aren't hers. <laughs> it actually started over here, right? Yes. Um, is that perfect- literally happened to me recently? I did an ad, like no kidding. I did an ad and I, it was very well received. I don't think I can say what it's for because I signed a thing, but <laughs> it was it was well received. It was about a government program for food. And another creator reached out to me and was like, hey, I've been making this content for like a year. And I actually was speaking to that agency and they said to me, hey, we're going to make an influencer program based on your content. Does that sound okay? And she was like, actually, no, like you'd have to buy that. That's my intellectual property. The campaign changed hands and it continued on without her. So myself, her and another group of influencers were all put on the same campaign that was based on her intellectual property. And when she reached out to me and was like, this is what's going on. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. So we have really been in communication about that type of thing because it's just horrible to me that that would, oh, she was black and I'm white. So you go into the comment section. She's talking about the same government program that I am, but she's getting comments like, oh, this is a handout. This is, you know, a shame. And then in my comment section, same video, same, same campaign, I'm getting, oh, this is so wonderful. Thank you for bringing awareness to this. Thank you for normalizing this. And it's something that really, really deeply highlighted that for me. And I'm thankful that the conversation was had, but again, so upset that, my new friend is experiencing this racism on the app and it's just very prevalent. But if we don't talk about it again, we're not going to be able to address it and make change in the space, you know? Yeah. That's some very overt bias, right? Oh, like, yeah. 
from a like creator perspective, I'm really, really grateful for creators like Fraz that share these things that have a bigger following than I do because I haven't done a ton of brand deals and I so easily would have not connected those dots. So having people be transparent about this is how you vet these things. You have a responsibility to do this and kind of showing the way to do this in a way that's going to help everybody and be a positive impact and where people are getting the pay they deserve and are getting the recognition that they deserve and being so intentional about the brands that you work with. Because I think for a lot of people, it can be, I don't want to say intimidating, but like if you've never structured a brand deal, you don't know how to look into that. Like you're not a manager yourself. So having creators be transparent about what that back end process looks like with each other, just like Fraz did with that woman who makes the similar campaign videos. But it's also right. You're doing this and you're rising up. Like, I mean, you're doing it because you love it, right? You're you want to elevate your status. And so there's also this initial excitement. So you don't really think about it, right? It's just like, oh my goodness, yes, this company wants to work with me, right? Oh, I'm going to make some dollars, right? And so, you know, it's hard to step back and be like, whoa, whoa, but really think about, <laughs> you know, what this entails and how it would impact really your reputation, right? And your followers. So what are some, so you talked about inequity in pay, right? And how you've been advocating for that. What are some other things around equity that you guys have been working on? One thing about equity that I found extremely interesting, especially since Fraz and I started doing the podcast, is how much inequity there is in American education by region, even though, because I taught in Florida, Fraz teaches are in California, and I grew up in Georgia, so I've kind of interacted with a variety of school systems, and it's just completely shocking to me that a student in New York gets triple the amount of funding for their education per year than a student in Florida. And it's just insane to me that we live in a country that allows that to happen and is 100% normalized. And to hear that kids move out of one state and get to another state and are so behind and have learned completely different things and haven't been serviced the way they needed. So kind of hearing the submissions from people and hearing from a teacher in California has shown me like, even what I already knew is even more exacerbated and even more detail around that. Yeah, I totally agree with you. It's been really eye-opening just to be on social media in general. I started during the pandemic when we all went online and I just was like, what's this TikTok app about? And I very quickly found educators from all over the world. And so often I would say, well, this is how it is. And my comment section would be filled with things like, actually, no, that's how it is in Southern California. I teach in Los Angeles, but that's not how it is everywhere. And, you know, in LAUSD, I don't work there, but LAUSD is the biggest California school district. And in our area, schools are funded by income tax dollars. So what ends up happening is there's huge inequities across this giant area. I mean, LA County has Brentwood and Southgate. It has like the Palisades and it has East LA. Like it's just, it's every, everywhere. It's all over the pay scale. So what ends up happening are these schools have a lot of resources or almost no resources. And I have friends that teach in LAUSD who are shocked that I've never had a smart board in my classroom. I've never had certain technologies because they're like, well, aren't you at a title one? Don't you guys get uh, additional funding? And I'm like, allegedly, I would love to know where it is. (laughs) So talking about that has really opened my eyes 
to just how different it is state to state, county to county, region to region, because there's also differences in how teachers are credentialed. So the the very way that teachers are teaching is so different. And that adds to what Redacted was saying about the different educations that our students are getting and the technologies that were sent home during the pandemic for students to learn on. Like some kids got old Chromebooks and some kids got brand new iPads all sent home for them. And some kids didn't have Wi-Fi, so they're getting hotspots, but the hotspots aren't that great. And it's like, you know, you're seeing it so much more clearly now. But yes, it's just <laughs> what you're saying is absolutely true, Redacted. Another example of inequity, this is one of my favorite like stories to tell when talking about this, not favorite because it's good, but favorite because I think it's really emblematic, is inequity is really sneaky within school systems too. It's not always a budget item. It's not always a loud statistic. But one example is neither of these schools are schools that I worked at, but I just had friends, colleagues that were there. One school had a PTA that was in a very, very upper class area, even though it was a public school and got the same funding as the other public school, the PTA raised over six figures every year that they would put back into teachers' classrooms for technology. They paid for a new floor for the gym one time, some really incredible resources that the school needs. The same, a school in the same district, not super far away, got all the same funding, was in a working class community, those parents don't have thousands and thousands of dollars a year to put into a PTA. So those students didn't get those resources. So I think when you talk about education and equity, it's the same as any other inequity in US history or in world history that it's deep, the roots go deep and it's sneaky and it's insidious in the way that it plays out. That is a really good visual example. Thank you for adding that. Speaking with that, this is a great transition to the next question, right? We were talking about the educators, like the inequity in the classroom resources, right? Like you're teaching, don't have what you need, right? You know, can't give children the same experiences as they can get other places. Do you think that social media and educator influencers are driving the conversation about like the teacher shortage and, you know, the whys and the what's and how they could lift their voices, right? And like sound off for the educators? I think that is such an important question. And it's something that I know we, we redacted and I grapple with all the time, because I think one thing that teacher social media does so often is highlights what can be bought with your own money, what can be done if you have a lot of free time on your hands. I mean, some teacher educators literally, or not teacher educators, teacher influencers are literally producing content in their house that they've designed to look like a classroom. So where that leaves a lot of educators is looking at this, like, why doesn't my school have this? Why don't I have the time to give this to my students? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with like where I am? But really it's a facade. And when we're in this area of like highlighting inequities and raising voices of people that are marginalized, you're seeing people more concerned sometimes about their follower count or how they're perceived. And I think that that's really irresponsible to be very like candid about it. I think that we are, we have never been, especially with the teacher shortage right now in a more critical moment to bring change to the education system in so many ways. 
but if we aren't talking about it, it's not going to get fixed. Like I said before, but it doesn't mean that we have to be hopeless about it. It doesn't mean that we have to be doom and gloom all the time. I actually think that this could be a really hopeful moment. This could be a really beautiful time of like bringing about change. And it's only going to be that way though, if we make it so it's not just going to happen on its own because social media does not reward talking about difficult topics. I don't know. And I think social media, I interpreted the question a little bit differently, but in terms of like the teacher influencers can like with the shortages and the way it's being discussed and are they driving the conversation? What we were saying earlier about echo chambers is sometimes I'll be on TikTok and I'm like, yeah, everyone knows the teacher shortage is so bad. It's so crazy. Everyone's talking about it. And then I turn on the news and it's like a 30 second clip. I think social media is great and social media is also terrible. But one of the things that I love about social media is I think it's really an amazing way to have like boots on the ground for any situation and to be hearing from people that are in it. Because when they are on the news, they interviewed a union president that I have interacted with who treated me very terribly and was part of the reason I left teaching. So that's not the voice of the people. Just how when there's a major weather event, you like to hear from the people right there. I think that's a great thing about teacher influencers on the internet and non-influencers, just teachers on the internet sharing their experience is they're sharing the very real reasons why they left because everyone has a different reason. I was very transparent on my account. I live in Florida. I was not provided a raise in pay and the housing costs in Florida have gone up over 50% in the last two years. My rent went from 1100 to 1700 I could not stay living on that salary. And as that was my experience, different people left for a completely different experience. So I think the teacher, TikTokers, Twitter people, Instagram people, whatever, a really positive way they're driving the conversation is showing the variety of reasons that are leading to the teacher shortage, because there's no one reason. It looks different for every person in every classroom in every situation. So that being said, with because it has been an exodus, right? Like, and it's not even just leaving the classroom. They've left education, period, right? You have teachers who are getting whole new professions, right? They're not even changing subjects, ages, right? Like, what would you say to those who have decided to stay? So to those who have decided to stay, I applaud you. I love you. I'm so proud of you. Like, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, because it really, it's hard to leave. I still grapple with a lot of guilt over it. And to those who stay, like, it's hard to say what I would say to them because it. I know they're in such a tough position and they're so needed. And I just want so much better for them. And I hope that by people leaving and talking about what's going on, it gets better. And I also know to the people who have stayed, I'm not trying to like, drive a teacher shortage right now, but I know a lot of educators who their whole life, they wanted to be a teacher. They're very, very like committed to it. They majored in it and they're very afraid to leave. I would just say, if you want to stay, absolutely stay, rock on, stay. But if you want to leave and the only thing holding you back is fear of trying another field, fear of trying something new, like you are so much stronger and so much more capable and teachers do so much more than anyone in a corporate office can say. Like your abilities are so beyond what you think they are and you can do amazing in other fields. So like, don't let your own fears hold you back. But those of you that are like in it and want to stay in it, like I bow down to you, send me your Amazon wish list. <laughs> I'm praying for you. 
<laughs> are you? I feel like people who are still in the field have a really unique opportunity. And I just hope that we remember that we are in a teacher shortage right now. So if somebody comes at you with some nonsense, remember that you you have kind of the upper hand sometimes. You can, in, you can really advocate for change in a way that is, you're advocating from, for change from the inside. And people who have left have advocated for change by saying, you know what, I can't take any more, but they really need us right now. Districts really need you. And I just hope that they remember to use their um, teacher shortage voice with you, that they're, they, they know what they're, what they have in a sense, but people who stay and people who want to go into teaching, I hope that the issues that are being highlighted right now don't discourage you, but rather like light your fire in the sense that you feel empowered to do something about it and shine a light on these issues versus like, oh my gosh, it's so awful right now. There's nothing that can be done because I think that there is. I think that we're stronger together than we are apart and we should continue talking about it. And I am also uh, praying for those still in the field and sending you all the good vibes. I'm on maternity <laughs> leave, so. so <laughs> lucky. Yeah. Many of our audience members are policymakers, district leaders, school debt directors. You said that you believe that there's something that can be done. What do you want them to know? If you are in charge of making policies, laws, doling out funding, please listen to educators in the classroom, the people that are in the field right now, not administrators or board members, not even necessarily the random voter on the street, but really honing in on what it is that teachers need in your community, in your state, whatever level you're representing people on. Those people in the classrooms are the ones who know what they need and really trust what they say is what I would say. Yeah. And I'll take that even a step further because you took the words out of my mouth. Listen to teachers because they are the ones there. And we're in a teacher shortage, friends. Let's sign up to sub. If you are a policymaker, let's get our hands dirty. Let's listen to the teachers inside the classroom. We can sub one day a week. I would say I also come from a high school teaching background. So this is a little different with elementary, but also really listen to children. Um, I loved when my students would go to school board meetings and talk and talk about their experiences. And I loved helping, so I said with like civic engagement and education, I loved helping them prepare for that because teenagers are so much more insightful than we realize. And so many policies get passed that affect their school day that really negatively affect their mental and social emotional health. So I would say listening to kids' experiences, and I'm very much in favor of choice being left to teachers and to kids. So I think giving teachers the flexibility and freedom to know their students and know what they need to do for themselves in their classroom. There were so many times I was acting on policies that I knew were not helpful to my students, but I was acting on it because someone was going to come through with a clipboard and send me a really mean email if I didn't act on it. 
So I would say <laughs> listening to the people that are experiencing your policies and being willing to let a little bit of the control out of your hand. I know that's really scary, but teachers know what kids need and not every kid needs the same thing. So there can't be a policy that's going to be perfect and encapsulate every single child's educational needs. Yeah. And administrators in particular hold a lot of that power. I know that it's hard because we're, we're held to these rules by our administration, but administration is putting these things into place because their boss says, the school board says. But I think having an administrator who really stands up for student-centered policy and learning and listens to teacher voice, those administrators are like gold. I mean, they are so valuable. And I had an administrator last year who I was like, I would teach for you at the bottom of the ocean because she just time and time again came to me and wanted to be student-centered, wanted my input, regarded me as an expert in my classroom and a professional of my field. And you'd be surprised how infrequently that happens. And I just think that having some administrators who are, aren't afraid to get their hands dirty. I like the way you put that. Um, that would be really valuable to us as teachers. Another comment on the administrator. I have seen a circle of five administrators discussing what they were going to do because we needed two subs for the day. They were no, like, you didn't do it. What are we doing? And oh. I was there like with the printer and I was like, if only there were five master's level certified adults standing in this room right now. <laughs> I love what you said, Ariel. You know, here at class, we talk about interactions and how they are foundational, you know, to student success, right? And all those things. And that administrator, right? Created, like she valued you, you felt heard, you felt seen, she listened, right? So you had trusted her, you guys had this relationship and you would do anything for her. Like that's the power of interactions, right? And that just mirrors, right? Parallels what we do here at class with teachers and children. I just had to throw that in there, plug, right? I also love the idea of the subbing, right? Because a lot of administrators are removed from that experience, right? And children, how they learn, grow, develop, and, you know, society and how it changes, how, what, what's happening in the classrooms now wasn't happening when they were in classrooms, right? And there's a total different shift. And so I do think that subbing, doing some community, right? Like maybe service days where you're in there, getting your hands dirty, as you said, and really having some hands-on concrete experiences would be helpful for them to be more effective in their service, right? In support of teachers in the classroom. But I, you know, I digress. Nobody asked me that question. I just went ahead and did <laughs> So I'm no, guessing that's great. <laughs> I'm guessing with all of your comments, you're not sad about not returning to school in the fall. <laughs> Ariel, I'll let you take that because you're on mat leave. <laughs> I'm really sad. I am. I mean, I miss it so much. And I am one of the teachers that Redacted was talking about, one of those people that has always wanted to be a teacher. And the state of how teaching made me feel last year really broke my heart in a very unique way because it is my dream job. And 
I know that we shouldn't as teachers, but I have definitely made teaching kind of this integral part of my personality. My students are so important to me and to to not be in the classroom is something that's very challenging for me, um, something I'm grappling with as a new mom. But at the same time, I am thankful that I do have this opportunity on, you know, podcasts and social media and all these different avenues to connect with educators and just try to elevate voices of people in the field and people who left and still talk about education, even though I'm not there. But yeah, I I am sad, actually. It's hard. (laughs) To echo the same thing, I was going to let her go first on her mat leave, but I was absolutely heartbroken. When I left the classroom, it was extremely hard. And then I kind of was like, okay, I'm feeling better. And then when fall hit and school started, it just hit me like an absolute ton of bricks. And I'm in a place now where I don't regret my decision at all. And I have learned so much by being in a corporate role that it makes me so excited to eventually go back to teaching once it's financially viable for me, whether that's through doing something outside of teaching or something change happening within the pay structure here. But I also think um, I'm a big advocate of people who are not lifetime teachers being in the classroom. I think it's amazing from kid for kids to hear from teachers that have experience from a variety of different fields and places. I think it's really great. So I'm excited to take what I've learned eventually and hopefully within the next couple of years, go back into the classroom because there's no magic like it. Like as much as we <laughs> say, the administrators, it's so hard and the policies and it is, and it's real and it's all of it. But like, I don't know if other people feel this way, but if I'm in front of a room teaching children history, that is like where I know I'm right in the world. And it's the most magical feeling. It's like a high that you will never get in a cubicle. Yeah, Yeah. I I can. Yeah, I completely agree. When I go to do like a class observation or a coaching visit, I'm just like, the littles, I just want to, I just want to jump in and do stuff. I'm like, oh, I really missed the classroom. Right. It's, there's nothing like it. (laughs) Nothing like it at all. Well, you guys, our time's up. Can you believe (laughs) it went by really, really fast, right? I thank you guys so much for joining me today. Thank you for having us. I'm so happy to have this conversation. Me too. It was a great conversation. Wonderful. All right, guys. You can find today's episode and transcript on our website, teachstone.com slash impacting. And as always, behind great leading and teaching are powerful interactions. Let's build that culture together.